Hey there, it's Ethan from Edge of NFT here. Welcome to the episode. Today we're bringing you a very special one filled with content curated from our recent travels to Southeast Asia and beyond. Stay tuned for some amazing interviews with incredible folks. We'll cut from one conversation to the next, introducing each guest as they arrive to give you the feeling like you're right there with us, jumping into each engaging conversation as it emerges. Stay tuned. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Hello everyone, this is Josh Krieger with Edge of NFT, one of the co-hosts here live at Tokyo 2049. Really honored to be here with Clayton's global head of adoption, David Shen, who is an OG in this space. And I've been told by many, I have to get a little bit of that background from you. But Clayton, guys, we may not have all heard about it in the US, but all year about in Asia, Clayton this, Clayton that. It's a really exciting company that has some really interesting roots. I had a pleasure of talking with Yoshi the other day and learning more about his background with Clayton. And I want to go into more depth with folks because people really need to understand what's going on with Clayton and why it's so significant globally to both Web 2 and Web 3. But first, let's learn a little bit more about you. How did you get into the space and to where you are now? Yeah, thanks for having me, first of all. It's awesome to be here. I got involved in 2012. I started out as one of the first ASIC miners, and then I quickly rotated in 2013 to creating my own startup called Paywise. I was based out of Hong Kong at the time. While I was doing all that, I was an investment banker. So being a regulated uh, banker, I had to disclose a lot of what I was doing. In the early days, the bank's compliance, they didn't really know what Bitcoin mining was. So they just said yes to everything. And then the Silk Road event happened in 2013, and they pulled me aside, and I almost got fired. I remember that much. But I told them, I would rather choose doing what I'm doing. If you want to fire me, let me go. They ended up keeping me because they realized that at some stage, they may want to go down the path of having a blockchain strategy. This is a large European bank. And yeah, so I continued on. So I was able to set up this company called Paywise out of Hong Kong. It caught the attention of a guy named Gary Creeman out of Silicon Valley. Gary Creeman was the uh, founder of Match.com. Okay. So he called me up and he said, I need you to come in and speak to Chris Larson because Paywise was essentially looking at using Ripple to disrupt Swift. So today, when you think about Ripple, for those people in your audience who are watching and listening, they'll probably think, well, isn't that what they do? Don't they go after the cross-border Swift type use cases? They didn't in the early days. So I had quite an effect in changing and having them look at this use case. So just to finish off that story, I know this is getting a bit long. So I flew out to San Francisco, met Chris, spent about three days whiteboarding for him and his team why they should be going after Swift. Long story short, they did that. Shortly thereafter, I introduced them to a very good friend of mine because of Bitcoin named Matthew Mellon, who passed away in 2018. Matthew was part of the Mellon family, Carnegie Mellon, Bank of New York Mellon. He was really into Bitcoin early on because of the Winklevoss twins. And he was really interested in Bitcoin in Asia. So that's how we became good friends. 
But I told Matt, I said, for his profile, it would be a lot better for him to work with Chris and Ripple. So he did that. So for those of you listening or watching, you can Google the name Matthew Mellon and Ripple. You'll see sort of how much he was involved with them after that introduction. So I've got a long history. I decided in 2019 that I would just retire from banking completely and stop playing sort of this Bruce Wayne, Batman thing. Yeah, fully out of the closet. Just fully out of the closet. That's a great way to present it. And at that stage, I decided to go help my friend Roger Ver set up his exchange for Bitcoin.com. I told Roger one of the conditions would be that I want to get paid in Bitcoin. So I love the fact that I was taking a full year's salary in Bitcoin, but it gave my wife a lot of brain damage. <laughs> but you also got to get some of those old stodgy suits out of the closet and she could put some more dresses in there. Correct, because I burned all those suits. I remember that day where I got rid of all my suits from my old consulting days. Correct, yeah. One of the big perks of the crypto industry. Yeah. And I'm sure you're the same as me. Like, I will never put another suit on. Like, no one will ever make me wear a suit unless I have to go to a funeral. I had had a Jewish Orthodox wedding recently. I had to find the suit. Yeah, there's always going to be, I guess, one or two reasons. But that's it. And here at Clayton now, Clayton is uh, Kakao's blockchain. For those who don't know Kakao, it's the largest Web2 platform in Korea. So when we say platform in Asia, super apps are a thing. So a lot of people communicate by chat, and that's what Kakao sort of grew their business on, was a chat application called Kakao Talk. Over 95% of the population of Korea is on it, and Clayton is their blockchain. Very cool. Well, I mean, just given your history and how you seem to attach yourselves to really exciting projects that with truly disruptive capabilities, there's a reason you chose Clayton and Clayton chose you, right? Like a chat app, it's fun, it's interesting, The adoption rate is incredible. But what's the bigger story here? Like, what do you see happening at Clayton that that gets you pumped? Yeah, I see a lot of Asia moving towards, first of all, mobile as a platform and away from desktop. And I think having that transition of users who are already pretty tech savvy in Asia, I'm sure you know the average person here is quite active digitally on the internet. But having them move and convert from a desktop platform to what mobile, it creates a lot more opportunities, especially when it comes to Web3. And so I think what we're excited about is really a lot of these projects who are looking to continue to build infrastructure on Clayton to create more mobile transactions, because 90% of Asia, whether it's Southeast Asia or Northeast Asia, are all on mobile phones. And obviously for Kakao, just to circle back to your question, we know the mobile environment quite well. They are a super app, they're a platform business. It's probably worth noting, they were one of the first digital banks in Asia, and now they're the biggest digital bank in Asia. They're actually the biggest bank in Korea at this point. So yeah, it says a lot, and that happened all over, I think they launched in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, or 2016. That happened all within sort of five to six years. So as we're thinking about leveraging this incredible community, and how it applies to the metaverse and NFTs and in gaming. You don't want to force fit things. You guys want to be methodical, very intentional about looking at these different aspects of the industry. And you have plenty of resources to look at the trends and really think hard about these different areas. What conclusions have you come to about these different aspects of Web3 and where this is going and how Clayton can support those ecosystem components? 
Yes, we're, I mean, when we look down our crystal ball, we see a lot more social interactions that will happen on chain. So to be very specific, if you think about our social activity today in Web2, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, a lot of these will transition in terms of how we interact on chain. And a lot of the data that gets collected on chain will add tremendous value to traditional companies in a sense that they'll have more information on how people transact. The difference between how they transact in a social way in Web3 versus Web2 is a lot of the social interactions actually end up with some sort of transaction, financial, economic, or some swap. And so monetizing a lot of that data will become very, very interesting and very important for traditional companies. I think when we get infrastructure and we get more data collection on chain, we're going to see a plethora of traditional companies coming in. Is that an opt-in experience for the user? I mean, I think there's a lot of criticism of not only our data. I mean, Brittany Kaiser has been on the show several times and spoke at NFTLA. How do you sort of give brands that opportunity without encroaching on individual sovereignty? I agree with that, that I like to be kept private, but the data that I'm talking about is more metadata. So it's kind of like, it's not data about you per se, it's data about what you prefer. And I think that's the important differentiation because I don't really care about whether or not I know a hundred people in Web3 and who they are, how old they are. Like that data is not as important to me. It's more about, is there a pattern of those hundred people in terms of what marketplace they went to, what type of NFT projects they liked? These types of data points are more sort of higher level meta data points. And I think this is where the monetization becomes quite interesting. Is that a pathway to figure out how to activate the metaverse and make it more vibrant? Can data help with that as well? It can, because I think where that becomes relevant is if you think about the metaverse, it's going to be a 24 by 7, 365 day digital economy, essentially. Right. And I mean, there's places you drive to 12 hours a day in the U.S. since desolate. I mean, there's cities that, it's commuter cities, right? Where everyone's in the city for a few hours and then leaves. So, so I, I guess when you say it that way, there's being a vacancy rate within the metaverse at times is not that surprising. Yeah, it's not. And my belief is in five to 10 years, when governments talk about GDP, right? Like trying to achieve 5% GDP, what have you. A percentage of that GDP will represent digital activities, right? And it'll be primarily within the metaverse. So I think this is why the Facebooks, the Microsofts, they all have quite a bit of interest in developing one. But more importantly, just to go back to your question, I think this data is important because you can't have people just activated and providing services 24-7, 365 days on a metaverse. So what becomes important are NPCs. NPC stands for? Non-player character. So these are just non-intelligent sort of drones that are embedded into games at the moment, and they fill some space and some time in the game, right? We see them a lot in open world games, right? Like I play Red Dead all the time, and there's tons of NPCs. Now, this data is important because the data will allow, eventually, in my eyes, NPCs to really be able to have more of a structured conversation with people who are coming into the metaverse. So if you think about, let's say, a donut franchise like Dunkin' Donuts had something in the metaverse 
they were selling NFTs or they were providing some sort of service, right? You can't have someone at that, let's say, portion of the metaverse operating 24 7. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to have some sort of NPC interaction. I think all that data that gets collected and processed through NPCs will derive sort of the interaction that will be more interactive than just what we're seeing in games today. Yeah, I mean, let's continue the conversation to gaming. I'd love to learn more about your perspective on what Clayton's doing there and how the social graphing, if you will, is applicable. Yeah, again, if we think about where the social element of the chain is going, right? People are going to want to flex their NFTs. They're already doing that now. People are going to want to talk about different projects. People are going to want to like, dislike, all this stuff. Yeah. All that social data needs to get captured on chain. And there's a lot of work being done now. I mean, Lens Protocol, CyberConnect, all these projects are really, they're not working on our chain. They're working on other chains. But at Clayton, we're, we're looking for projects that are doing similar things to help generate and collect social data. Because again, touching on the data point, I think when we have that kind of infrastructure, we're going to be able to social graph, which is going to be really important because social graphing in Web2 is very limited because whatever you're doing in Facebook, you can't carry that social footprint or graph onto Twitter. And so you're living, your social footprint becomes very fragmented. But in Web3, there won't be any walled gardens. And so your social graph actually starts getting bigger and bigger. And that's the real opportunity because now I can really understand you and your preferences more than I could in Web2. Because how you behave on Twitter could be very different than how you behave and what you say on, let's say, Instagram. So you mentioned walled gardens and immediately it popped in my head is your recent partnership with DeFi Kingdoms, a project I have a lot of respect for. Was this type of long-term thinking, what influenced you all partnering with them? Or was it more about these guys just have a really cool gaming experience that's just rocking and fun and engaging? It was a conversation that I had with one of their founders, Dreamer, in New York. We talked about their ability to access Asia through Clayton. And that was really the focal point. They've got a great game. Clearly, they know what they're doing. They've got an amazing community. But they haven't been able to sort of amplify to the next level on Harmony. And so the discussion was really about how can we amplify DeFi kingdoms in Asia? And that's when we talked about migrating Serendale, their biggest kingdom, over to Clayton. We have an environment where we really like incubating our projects. And I don't think all layer one blockchains are like that. Most of them will just give you a grant or give you some sort of investment and away you go. There's definitely some variability on the level of TLC that's available. Correct. So we're fond of incubating them, growing them in Asia. We think they'll do quite well. We know the market in Asia. The the gamers here are a lot more sophisticated, so they really appreciate good games. But also, it's a big crypto market. People, you know, they love crypto out here at a retail level. So combining those two things, accessing huge swaths of population that are playing games every day, we thought it was a great fit for them. Well, great, David. This has been really fun, and I've learned a lot from you and your perspective on where this industry is going. is so helpful just given where you've come from. If folks want to stay in touch with Clayton and yourself, what should they do? You can look us up on Twitter or on Facebook. I think our tag is at Clayton Official. We're also on LinkedIn. You can also find us at www.clayton.foundation. That's great. So for our listeners at home that are building interesting projects, definitely take a look at Clayton and what they're doing. There could be some really interesting synergy there. 
Yes, indeed. Thank you. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintraininalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. What's up, everyone? This is Josh Krieger, co-host of Edge of NFT here live day two at Token 2049. Excited to be here with Dreamer the president of Kingdom Studios, previously nine years at Goldman Sachs. Very interesting shift of a business, but maybe not really. We'll, we'll get into that. And nice to know that when you're not like working on this killer game, some skydiving, some surfing, some scuba diving, some martial arts in the mix. Dreamer, great to have you here. Happy to be here. How's the vibe been? It took in 2049 for you. It's been really incredible. I've been to a number of events so far in the last year, and it's a bit different in Singapore. People yeah. come very intentional. They're very organized. They come in teams and network like the best of them. They're really good networkers here. I was actually surprised in every other event or merch, people just like are lining up to take it and they come and, and they're lining up to ask very detailed questions. They like the merch, but they are asking like 20 minute discussions and people are waiting. Just a different mindset here. Good energy in a market where sometimes it's hard to find that toxic not toxic, intoxicating, good energy that's surrounding this place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've been really enjoying our time here. So glad we came to Singapore. I think it's so important for cross-pollination of the ecosystem. We've got this quote, bear market, but a lot of building still happening, including what you guys are doing. And there was recently this big announcement about the launch of your partnership with Clayton. Had a chance to talk to Yoshi and David from Clayton would love your perspective on that uh, collaboration, why you guys chose to collaborate with this amazing South Korean venture. Yeah, so first of all, Yoshi and David, both separately and together are incredible. I love them both. I met Dave at NFT NYC, and we started talking about what we were focusing on at DeFi Kingdoms. Some of the three Sigma events that happened that impacted a lot of us. We were not excluded from impact there, and we were thinking about how to be strategic. In a bear market, you have to do a couple things in order to survive. I think staying relevant, finding ways to be deflationary with your economy and your in-game tokens, but also getting good partners where there's good incentives. And a result of that conversation with Dave led to, hey, a move to Clayton, an expansion to Clayton, a partnership with Clayton is just what we need in this market. They have a strong team. They have a great 
targeted focus in a region that we didn't have a stronghold yet. I mean, like close to 100% adoption for their Messenger app in, in South Korea. I mean, that's absolutely unheard of. Yeah. And it's not a new app either. It's an app that's been around for over a decade. I lived in Korea for a few years in the early 2000s, and I was using that app. So that app has been around before, I think, in the U.S. when we started using messaging apps. They were already on it. So a lot of stickiness with that user base. Therefore, a majority of the country is using that. With that collaboration with Clayton, it's huge. They also have a lot of other interesting partnerships, and their professionalism is incredible. From marketing to tech, the ecosystem, DeFi Kingdoms has a lot of transactions. So when we're looking at chains, it's not just who wants us, it's who can partner with us because we're kind of high maintenance. We need to make sure that we don't break the chain. We need to make sure that our users aren't frustrated with experience, that we have good co-marketing, and Avalanche has been that for us. Other partners in the past, a little bit less so. So we're learning what to identify as good partnerships and we're really excited about this one with Clayton. Well, let's rewind a little bit because I, I almost assume everyone knows about DeFi Kingdoms at this point. But maybe you can sort of describe DeFi Kingdoms in a nutshell to folks. And then let's kind of go into what's new in the world of DeFi Kingdoms. Sure. So for those that are wanting to get caught up, we launched as a DEX where we simplified DeFi, made it gamified, and it made it a lot easier for people to get onboarded and understand. They started staking in the decks or planting seeds in the garden. Then from there, we launched our hero NFTs, which is like any RPG game that you might be familiar with. Take the hero, make it an NFT. That hero has stats that's linked to battle and questing. And those stats get better as you play and level up. As you play and collect resources like catch a fish, that thing's a token. You mine for gold. I've caught a, a few in my days. Yeah, I'd hope so. Hopefully more than just bloaters, although we love bloaters. These tokens are then used to burn and make potions and in the future make equipment and weapons to make your heroes stronger. Your heroes can then travel through maps and realms. Each chain is gamified as a realm to fight each other in PvP, do PvE campaigns, and really have that RPG experience on the blockchain where your assets carry value are interchangeable and quote-unquote real compared to traditional games where it's very real to the player, but it's hard to convince somebody else of a set price or liquidity or any real like digitally tangible value. I think one of the real opportunities and challenges you have with DeFi Kingdoms is you've got this cryptocurrency community, which is trying to get a return on investment. That's what inspired a lot of them to get into space and certainly into DeFi. And then you've got this gaming experience that's actually quite vivid and fun and engaging that it is about the game. And then we've got this bear market. So I'm sure that there's some pressure on you and the team to be thoughtful on how to create a sustainable economy. It sounds like in the process of sort of reflecting and learning, which I know you guys are constantly iterating, you've come up with some new heroes, some new in-game assets and some new features based on what's happened the last year. I would love to sort of learn more about that. Sure. So part of the expansion of DeFi Kingdoms is looking at all the chains. There's a lot of EVM compatible chains out there. They all have their own branding, their own theme. When we were on Harmony to start, and we have Serendale, a realm that was really meant to be this peaceful realm to be harmonious with the whole theme of Harmony blockchain, we were looking at other partners and Avalanche wanted us so bad. So we created a realm, Crystal Veil, that is more like Viking-esque. I mean, the crystal token on my shirt looks like 
a triangle, a mountain. It's all ice themed and the new heroes that they got were related to their overall theme. So as you look at the other chains out there, there's a lot you can do in terms of creativity and building a realm around potentially Polygon, now Clayton, where we're relaunching Serendel 2.0 and we will make it fun. We'll add some updates to the map. Yeah, we'll give them I'm kind of curious like, what these heroes are going to be like. Yeah, well, I think I've actually been testing theories out while I've been here and asking loaded questions. And it's interesting how we are on the right track because the questions I ask, I think people naturally come to the conclusion of the type of token that we're looking to launch because they'll get their own game token, just like Cristobal has their own. And Jewel, which was previously Serendel's token, is getting repurposed to be a broad token that will be on all chains. Eventually, when we're on centralized exchanges, that will be the token that represents DeFi kingdoms. It'll be gas, governance, fee sharing, and premium features. But Clayton will get their own token. They'll get their own new heroes. And their own new gene sets, right? Exactly. So the existing heroes that are out there right now, I think we're near 300,000. They carry not only genes that are linked to gameplay, but physical gene sets that are fun. Any specific ones that you're excited about that you can mention? I'll just say we're partnering with Clayton and the brainstorming on all of this. And we really want to expand. And they've got a great brand and a really creative team. So that must, those must be some fun sessions. Yeah, they're great sessions. And we are identifying holes or gaps in the current gene sets to expand on them to be much more inclusive, especially in this part of the world. So there'll be some exciting stuff that are linked to some classes and gene sets to kind of bring to life and bring into the fold parts of the world that may have not have been as represented. That's great. And shout out to the Avalanche guys. Love what they do. And 2 million transactions a day. Is that correct? What you guys are doing on Avalanche? Yeah, go check out. Avalanche has a really good explorer for their subnets. We're one of many subnets, but we are definitely at the top of the heap when it comes to users and transactions. That has been greatly improved from the migration of from Harmony as we prepare for Serendale 2.0. We are also ramping up feature utility parity on Crystal Vale on the subnet. So yeah, transactions I think over the last three weeks now have been in the over 1 million range. I think in the last two weeks, over 2 million. We actually had a huge spike of like 3.6 or 3.7 million in a day. And immediately Avalanche guys reached out and they're like, guys, this is great. It looks great, but we need to preserve the integrity of the chain. Let's look at gas fees. Let's look at ways we can optimize it. We also looked at the game and said, hey, when you're questing, there's a lot of individual transactions. And shout out to Magnus and Hubert. They put their heads together and they said, how can we make this easier for our users? And came out with multi-questing, I think about a week ago now. Oh. So we've dropped transactions down to like the one five to two million range where the chain is still functioning beautifully. It's a good experience for all. We're burning Jewel, which will not have any more supply added from this point going forward. So you can do the math there, burning Jewel through not only gas, but other in-game features, no new supply. There's some interesting tokenomics there to consider. But yeah, transactions, subnet, the performance, it's all very exciting. And we're really happy with our partnership with Avalanche. Well, awesome, man. It's great to see you and to get a little glimpse at what's happening in DeFi Kingdoms. I know you guys are just going to keep on innovating. Wish you the best with the forthcoming quarter. And let's see you guys at NFTLA next year. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. What is the date again? It's like March, March 20th through the 23rd. And we got a whole track just on gaming. So you're definitely going to be on stage, my friend. Yeah, look forward to it. All right. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. 
Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes you Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Hi, what's up everyone? This is Josh Krieger, one of the co-hosts of Edge of NFT, and I am so excited to be here with Yoshi, Game Partnership Lead at Clayton. Hello guys. We're going to talk about some really fun stuff and really excited to expose our listeners to all the amazing things that not only Clayton is doing coming up, but what they've done in their history. This is a blockchain solution that everyone really needs to learn more about. I've been here a couple days. How about yourself? I've been here a couple of days too. I'm having a little bit of jet lag. Yeah, yeah. So we're both trying an experiment here. This is Kofi Chan. This is tea and coffee. Very good. Cheers. Cheers. Some of the locals here recommend this to us. So I had a power nap. I think we're doing all right. Yeah. All things considered. And I'm excited to come to Seoul, Korea next week. We got this really fun roadshow we're doing. This is my first time in Singapore. And it's just great to meet with you. You're, you're one of our first interviews. Thanks to the Asia Blockchain Gaming Alliance for having us together. They have a great event going on out of these doors. And yeah, let's get down to it, man. How did you get involved in blockchain? And tell us about your Clayton legacy story, because you've known about these guys since your teenage years. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Korea as just a normal kid. And then one day, like Samsung, they released this idea called smartphones. And they say, like, you can access all these types of different apps. I wasn't aware of those ideas back in, I think, elementary or middle school. But everyone starts using this messenger app called Kakao. And our mother company... Kakao with a K. Kakao with a K because Korea starts with a K. And I started using this app. And it was phenomenal because back then, my mom wouldn't let me send more than 200 messages a month because it costs you more money. 
But with Kakao, if you're connected to an internet, like you can send free messages, but also like pictures and videos and everything. So what was her excuse then for you to like still get your homework done and everything after that? Like she was out of bullets. Yeah, she was out of bullets. I still got my homeworks done. I was a pretty good student, so I guess like she didn't care as long as I don't incur more costs. <laughs> <laughs> Very practical. Yes, and then I went abroad to study in D.C., Washington. And oh, cool. I lived there after graduating college. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I went to Georgetown, and the living expense there is like crazy, right? Oh, yeah. So, Especially Georgetown itself. Yeah. <laughs> that's the $18 hamburger. Ah, yes. It was phenomenal. And when I want to call my parents or friends back home, I would still use cacao. And back then, I would just see this as a good service. I didn't look really deep into its bringing. But later, I kind of realized that, hey, like, this is really cool. Like, when did cacao come to realization that mobile internet is going to be really successful and used by the masses? that they come up with this idea of bringing free messenger to the Korean population. And I kind of grew this admiration for this company. But you weren't the only one. I mean, this product went viral, right? Right, 97% penetration rate in Korea. So Absolutely incredible. Yeah, the norm in Korea is like, just talk me, which means like, send me a cacao talk. So it's that. Part of the dictionary for Korea culture. Right, of course. And I kind of grew really like this admire for this company because they expanded based on that messenger because they had this community of users. They started rolling out like taxi hailing and payments and banking, everything that you can imagine. And they dating, really big. They get into dating? Dating, Kinda I'm happens not sure. Casually. I'm not sure if there's cacao Tinder, but once you start dating, you probably use cacao and send like really yeah. cheesy you can, pictures. You can do the home cooking and all that <laughs> stuff with it. Right, It's right. part of culture. Mm -hmm. And then after graduating from college, I actually wanted to go to like a blood delivery company in Uganda. So wow. because I was kind of inspired by the idea of like doing work that changes people's lives. So I thought, you know, like those dramatic ones about like delivering blood or like saving lives were what matters. But somehow I came back to Korea. I was kind of looking for jobs to kind of apply for. And then I realized that Kakao was employing people to build a blockchain platform. And I was like, yeah, like these guys did really well in the Web2 space. I think they're going to do really well in Web3 as well. It's going to be worthwhile. So that's why I joined in roughly 2017. So it's, I think, my fourth or fifth year with Clayton. In the process, we've been having pretty big achievements and small achievements as well. But we're getting there. We're trying to have blockchain adopted by the masses, not only in the Korea market, but maybe further to the East Asian market and possibly globally. So I think that's the vision we have. And we've been engaging in a lot of endeavors to make this happen. Right now, I'm leading the game partnership side of Clayton. And we are heavily kind of convinced with the idea that games will be the spearhead for global mass adoption of blockchain, whether that be Clayton or any other mainnet. Our focus is like, let's get this technology known to people first. That's what really matters at the moment. Well, look, I mean, in a lot of ways, gaming was the sort of early adopter of concepts that we call NFTs now in terms of skins and everything. And the idea of in-game assets has been part of gaming for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So I think that makes sense. That's why we're excited to do a big gaming event November 14th in L.A., 
just to bring people together on and on where this all goes. When I look around in Singapore at these different events we're going to, gaming just keeps coming up over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. That's very true. I think it makes a lot of sense because history repeats itself. And when we look back at how Kakao succeeded into like the most dominant messenger app, they launched a very simple like kind of Tetris kind of game on their messenger. It was called Anypong. And what it does is like they let you play maybe like 10 games for free. But then once you run out of the so-called energy, like you have to go and ask your friends to send you more energy. And back then in maybe early 2000s, this kind of community kind of concept in the gaming space was very new. And so while the game itself is very simple, the messenger was able to succeed because people were starting to interact on the mobile space on Web2. And so we have the idea that, hey, like people are usually intrigued with entertainment aspects. Giving them raw blockchain is definitely not going to work. They're not going to be able to kind of digest it. So let's put it in the form of a game and add kind of community features to the game so that more and more people start kind of enjoying this as a group. So that's what we're kind of pushing at the moment. That's cool. And is that game mobile only or mobile and computer? Is it an app that you download? The Anypong was like a mobile web. So it was embedded inside the Kakao Messenger app. So people had to kind of access Kakao Messenger to play it which also significantly contributed to Kakao's growth because everyone had to kind of basically log into Kakao to play the game. And so that tactic was very successful. I think business or strategy, it transcends time and region. The essence stays the same. So people talk about like the way business is done on Web3 is different. I agree to some point, but I still think that the essence of like doing business never changes. And mm -hmm. so on Web3, it's probably going to be the same. We need a killer application or service that lures Web2 people to kind of join this movement of Web3. And once we have that traction going on, it's just going to snowball really big. And so Clayton, we've been shooting really hard for the past four years to not only found the infrastructure to kind of make the overall user experience very comfortable, but also to have that one killer application to kind of bring this viral coming. And I'm hoping that that service would come out maybe by end of this year. We have really good services getting prepped to be launched on Clayton by end of this year. That's great. And currently, is Clayton accessible globally, like in the U.S.? Can I access Clayton as well? Yeah, well, Clayton's open source public mainnet, so anyone can access by installing the Kaikas wallet. We do have a KYC, like custodial wallet, embedded inside Kakao Messenger app for Korean users. But for global users, they can still install Kaikas. So it's like the MetaMask equivalent on Clayton. And they can definitely enjoy all sorts of games. Once they have the wallet, they should also have Clay as to pay gas fees. We're not as much listed in Western markets as we are in the East, but still there are probably ways to get them. So mm -hmm. we're trying hard to kind of improve our liquidity in the Western markets though. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about what you guys are doing around gaming and sort of supporting the Web3 game culture. Can you point to any specific examples of collaborations that are, have happened or are coming up? 
Yeah, so just naming out the partners that we've been closely working with in the past six months or so. Globally, we've been working hard with uh, Reign of Terror and DeFi Kingdoms and many other like just indie kind of mid-sized games that are willing to build on Clayton. That's a huge partnership, though. I mean, DeFi Kingdoms came out of nowhere <laughs> and talk about an addictive product. Like, I'm a user and a lot of my friends are users of DeFi Kingdoms and I guess they had a bit of a challenge with Harmony that you guys are supporting sort of a recovery effort, right? Right. We were very glad to hear from the DeFi Kingdoms team that they were looking to expand their presence to the Asian market. And they were thinking that Clayton would be the number one choice in terms of going to the East. And we were very welcoming that idea because that is very true. In regulatory terms, like China is under strict regulation in terms of blockchain games. Japan's a little bit looking into this space just starting now. So I think Korea is the right market to start off if you want to come to Asia, especially like given the Korean population who's, they're all just crazy to play games. I grew up going to PC cafes every day, like after school. So I think it was a good fit. They're moving their Serendale, the biggest game space on DeFi Kingdoms, onto Clayton. So probably by end of this year, we should be having Serendale users using Clayton as their blockchain. That's pretty exciting. We also have Reign of Terror team. They're ex-Tencent game-like experts, and they're building a, like a MMORPG game on Clayton as well. So that's going to roll out very soon too. They're having an NFT drop probably by October or November. So I would definitely stay tuned for that as well. Well, those are two exciting partnerships. And I think it's helpful for folks listening to this podcast to understand that Clayton is open for business in terms of collaboration and co-creation globally. What's the best steps for folks to take if they want to sort of explore collaborating with Clayton? I think trying out the service would be the best effort or like the best way to experience Clayton and to kind of feel how this network is so much different from other existing mainnets. I would suggest trying out games, DeFi Kingdoms or Reign of Terror, they're all good once they come out. But also we have games called Nino Kuni and A3 Still Alive on Clayton, currently running on Clayton Mainnet at the moment. I'm suggesting these two because it's been built by a company called Netmarble. So it's one of the three biggest game companies in Korea. And it's one of the biggest companies for game publishing throughout East Asia as well. So these games, like one title would normally get three to five million MAU once they roll out. And so they're fact-checked in a way that their game quality is really good. And if you try it out, there are blockchain aspects that they integrated on Clayton. You should be able to feel how seamless it is when it runs on Clayton because we have one second block finality and we have um, fee delegation features, which greatly improves both user experience and developer experience. Yeah, that's exciting. And just to kind of recap what we've talked about here, and correct me if I'm wrong, you've got this incredibly dominant and successful Web2 messenger company that has sort of taken a shot at Web3 in a major way, mm. built their own blockchain, and is partnering with some of the biggest players in the space in gaming, and is just ready to do more in the space and excited to collaborate. That is very true. We think that a platform can be very powerful, but for the platform to be powerful, 
what really comes first is a service, like any service that can really attract the mass users. That's going to be the kind of killer that places one platform above others. So that's why we've been focusing really hard to get really good quality services running on our mainnet. Regarding the Kakao part, it is true that Kakao is deeply affiliated and supporting our platform, but we're trying our best to kind of decentralize our mainnet so that it stays true to like the blockchain ideal. But we're not willing to sacrifice like our platform's effectiveness or our platform's technical like advantages for the sake of just decentralization. There are arguments about how much decentralized a platform should be. And some people may argue that a platform has to be fully decentralized. But once it is, it just becomes very slow and very expensive. So it might work for some services that doesn't require quick speed or doesn't require like low gas fees. But for us, we think that it's critical. Like getting these services with cheap gas costs and really low latency is very important for top quality companies to start adopting blockchain. Once technology improves even better later, so that even with decentralization, maybe gas fees can stay low and latency can still stay very low, you would be willing to adopt more like decentralization. But at this point, we think we're at the optimal point to lure more Web2 companies to start adopting blockchain. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Just to take a step back, we often like to understand from our guests like what inspires them in the space. And in particular, what we're seeing in the U.S. is a major focus on film three, entertainment, mm-hmm. big brand integration. Is that happening in Korea too? Do you see that convergence of all these technologies with major entertainment and big brands? And what sort of inspires you in the space beyond that? Yeah, so like in terms of our collaboration with big brands, Kakao itself is pretty big. And so like the messenger that has the wallet embedded, like our wallet embedded inside has been quite phenomenal in the Korea market. But we adopted a POS algorithm model, which means we have a very selected number of governance council nodes that allow us to be faster and cheaper. And these nodes are not just random individuals that we do not know of. These are actually like companies that hold killer IPs. We have entertainment companies like Kakao Entertainment. We also have like Binance, Jump, and Sigma, and Netmarble, game companies with huge IPs that so you've are been collab- our network. I mean, you are a big brand, but you've been collaborating with big brands for a while. So this is right. like a mm-hmm. natural thing, what we're talking about here. Right. In fact, towards the end of this year, Netmarble, the MarbleX is their crypto subsidiary's name they are going to launch a P2E version of a game that had 10 million MAU in the Web2 version. So it's called Let's Get Rich. So it's kind of like the Korean version or Asian version of Monopoly. Nice. And they had, like globally, when they launched a couple of years ago, the Web2 version, it had 10 million MAU. We usually have 20%, 10% of that Web2 user base switching over to Web3. So you can buy land in Korea, or is there a particular, or is it, just a global property, real estate they're, empire you're building. Yeah, they're kind of still kind of planning out, sorting right. this out a little bit right now. But the, I guess we got the metaverse. You could buy land in the metaverse too now. Yeah, the last update I got was that they're going to map the game with actual space around the world. 
so that if a user actually buys a land in the game, it corresponds with their land ownership in the real world. Of course, they're not buying land in the real world, but it just gives them a feeling that they have a chunk of, say, like an Eiffel Tower, or they have a chunk of like the Colosseum. So they're trying to map the virtual kind of map with what really exists in the real world. And gamify it. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. And then my other question was just outside of what you're doing at Clayton, what inspires you that you're seeing in the Web3 space? My biggest inspiration is basically like assets being able to transcend from this virtual realm to like reality. I think the kind of borderline between virtual space and like reality is kind of like crumbling down at the moment. We still have a really long way to go, but case in point, the scholarship model that was very popular last year was very intriguing because the game that adopted scholarship model was successful too, but I think that model itself was very interesting because people come to a realization that you can actually start making money in the virtual space. That's because digital assets are more and more recognized as property. Sure. And this trend is going to continue through, I guess, mediums such as NFTs. What I'm very inspired to look forward to occurring in the blockchain space is kind of like the economy that you see in Ready Player One. Have you seen the movie? Yeah, of course. Like all these IPs, they just interchange in one platform and people start trading their in-game items with each other for money. Some people are going out to kind of gather money to buy more items to sell for real money. Like this kind of changes is very interesting from my perspective And I really look forward to that happening. I'm on the game side, but on Clayton, there are also um, art projects that are kind of moving towards this direction. So for example, like, let's say like a very well-drawn, like popular painting costs a million dollars. Not many just individual can purchase a $1 million painting. But if you can kind of cut that to a hundred pieces so that one piece costs just at a very affordable amount, people can start actually entering this type of investment. So like blockchain is able to kind of lower the hurdle for investors who are interested in participating in these kinds of investment opportunities. Given, I think maybe in five, 10 years, once regulations start kind of giving us proper guidelines, I think it would be actually possible for people to get loans by putting their NFTs as deposits. Like this hyper liquidity is going to happen in the next few years. And I'm really looking forward to that because it's an opportunity for creators, studios, and users to actually benefit from this new type of technology. Absolutely. Definitely excited about what's to come in that regard. So if folks want to learn more about Clayton and stay in touch, where do they go? It's very simple. We have our website, clayton.com. So if you visit Clayton.com, you should be able to see all the ecosystem partners and the tech stack that we provide. We also have our official Twitter, Clayton underbar official. So you should be able to see our recent news there as well. And cool. we, we Are also you on have... Twitter as well? Yes, I am, but I forgot my ID. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll pass that on. We'll get you some Twitter love as well. Yoshi, thanks so much for spending some time together. We can make it through this week. We'll get a time zone adjusted, mm-hmm. hopefully before we leave. Yes. Cheers, my friend. All right, cheers. Thank you, Josh. All right. <laughs> okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. 
We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.